faced with seductive immorality and idolatry in Ephesus, how did the Apostle Paul respond? What did he tell the Ephesian followers of Christ that was so powerful that eventually it conquered paganism in the city? How can we conquer paganism in our own hearts and spread the truth about forgiveness in life? These are the questions our study leader Dave Wordson seeks to answer as we take a look at what Paul has to say in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 through 7. If ever I wanted to gather my granddaughters up and take their families and Mary and I and head for Idaho, this is the week. How about you? I think we need to set up a Christian commune. And we need to isolate ourselves from all these terrible influences that are coming upon our kids and threatening our very lives and our very existence. That's the way I feel. Anybody want to join me there? You can't run away to Idaho. Some of you are going to get really hiked up, and you need to, and you need to get involved in the public marketplace and the public square because we need to be salt and light. But I want to share with you that we're not going to conquer paganism. Paganism is... All that worship of immorality. And the Apostle Paul, as he walked down the streets of Ephesus, like I've taught you the last several weeks, as the Apostle Paul walked into the Agora, he could look to the major high point of the city, and there was a gigantic uh, temple. It was to Artemis, or Diana, of the Ephesians. And it was a many-breasted idol. And all over the city, they sold these naked figurines. And there was a meteorite that had fallen, that was right at the heart of that, of that temple. And, and it was known throughout the Roman Greek world. People came by the thousands to worship Artemis of the Ephesians. That's what the people were up against. There was also a major temple to Jupiter. Once a year, they all gathered to worship the emperor, which is kind of a perfunctory thing. Also, if you were involved in the mystery cults, there were Egyptian mystery cults called the worship of Serapis and the snake goddess and... There was all kinds of initiation rites and all kinds of perverted, immoral things. Some of the things that they would do is uh, they would have Bacchanalian feasts where they'd all get drunk and they just have massive orgies. And you've also heard of the, the Greek god Dionysius and the Roman god Dionysius and Dionysian feasts. And that's paganism. That's what it was. In the first century, there wasn't any debate in the public square. I want you to really understand this. What we're studying in the book of Ephesians, when Paul penned this letter to believers like you, there wasn't any debate. Nobody got upset about paganism. It was the norm. But you know, in three generations, 300 years, or like by the time Constantine came, what the Apostle Paul wrote in Ephesians had changed the world. And that's what I want us to do. As moms and dads, and I'm a granddad, what can we do? And what I want you to do is I want you to turn to Ephesians chapter 5. Because the Apostle Paul goes much deeper. He goes much deeper than legislature, making laws. He goes much deeper than rules that the FCC can do. And what the Apostle Paul does is he, first of all, talks to us about the very source of immorality. The very source of this paganism. If you look at Ephesians chapter 5, he starts out with an incredible statement. In fact, it's the highest statement that I could ever make to any one of you. In a positive sense today, the Apostle Paul comes to every one of you and says, I want you to be imitators of God. I want you to imitate God. Now, you ever stop and think of how impossible that is? How in the world can you imitate God? 
Well, we need to begin to think, well, you're not going to imitate him in your omniscience. How many of you can't figure calculus out? How many of you have trouble with chemistry? Anybody wrestling with Shakespeare? So uh, I don't think any of us are going are to imitate God in being all-knowing. All right? What about omnipotence, all-powerful? Anybody feel a little bit creaky today and taking your celebrex? And I, I don't think we're going to make it today with all-powerful, okay? What about omnipresent? Now, some of you kids think that your mom is omnipresent, but she isn't. Okay, so I don't think we're going to make it. You see, that we have the incommunicable, in theology we call them the incommunicable attributes. What a fancy way of saying. Those are the things we're not like God in those ways. Those are the ways that God is uniquely himself, okay? And we can't be like that. But you know, there's another side to God, his justice. Can you be just in your heart? Can you really be concerned for what's right? Can you be merciful? God is merciful. Like if you look at the end of chapter 4, it says, Get rid of all bitterness and rage and anger and brawling and slander along with every form of malice. Why? You need to be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. So in the context that we're talking about this imitation of God, Paul is specifically talking about the wondrous, wondrous, forgiving, merciful compassion that God has. So when Paul says in this passage, he says, I want you to imitate your father. He says, I want you to imitate your father in forgiveness. And then he goes on and says something very important. He says, therefore, as dearly loved children and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. As you're sitting in this room today, you're looking for love. Every one of us are. Looking for money, looking for power, looking for prestige. Your 12-year-old girl that's starting to go through puberty, she's looking for love. She's looking for love. You teenage guys, you get to be about 11 years old now, and the hormones start pumping, and, and the, the, the young men in our church family, all of a sudden they realize there are male and female in this world, and they start hungering for love. What I want to share with you is those are all beautiful desires. They're good gifts the Lord has given us. They're not dirty things. They're not bad things. And as moms and dads, it's very important for you to be able to share that those are really precious gifts the Lord has given to us. There's nothing wrong with a woman's body. In fact, in Proverbs chapter 5, a daddy shares with his son how he can drink deeply, a very erotic passage from her love. So kids, if you're sitting here and you think, well, God doesn't know anything about sex, doesn't know anything about any of that stuff. Yes, he does. He knows everything about it. He created it. In fact, it's a be- one of his most beautiful gifts to us. It's a gift that is so precious that it's like Friedrich Bigner has told us, it's like nitroglycerin. It can be used to heal a heart that is broken, or it can blow your life to smithereens. It's a precious vase, it's a precious treasure that every one of you have. You say, well, Dave, you told us you're going to go deeper. The Apostle Paul is sharing the essence of why we struggle with lust. And why we struggle with desiring things that we shouldn't desire. And the Apostle Paul says that our life needs to begin by recognizing that we're dearly loved children. You know, I'd be willing to wager that there's a whole ton of you that if I ask you, do you really, really believe this week as you've lived your life, if I carried on an interview with God the Father and I mentioned your name, how do you think he would respond? Every one of you have been raised by a dad. If your dad left you, you were raised by 
the phantom dad, the abandonment dad. It's very powerful in your life. Now, some of you have a dad that, man, from the time you were born, as a, as a daughter, your daddy hugged you, and he bounced you in his lap, and he just gushed love upon you, and when you did something wrong, man, he forgave you, and he's been just the perfect picture of a heavenly daddy. And everyone, every one of you dads to take to heart where we're beginning today, and I need to take it to heart. The Apostle Paul is telling us that we need to be imitators of God as dearly loved children. You know what? Dearly loved children do imitate their parents. It's just the way it is. It's a very powerful thing. And this morning, your daddy is either a heavenly daddy or you're of your father the devil. Just to put it bluntly, that's what the Apostle Paul is teaching us. He says you either have divine genes, heavenly genes, or you have satanic genes. And the way that we know is what happens as you live your life. As Dave lives his life, you, you, you find out who's my daddy. Because I'm like him. We all know that. Every one of you can take your kids. And we, I, I've often taught you, you can take any one of my kids. Josh walks in here and we start doing things together. And everybody starts laughing because he does so many things that are like me. You know, just like me, he tells Laura that he's already taken the garbage out when he hasn't really, but he's going to do it. And just like me, he gets going, and uh, I never dreamt those jeans would come out, but he loves to talk for like three hours about theology and loves all that philosophical stuff. You know, it, it, it's in his genes. It's in his genes. He acts like me in a lot of ways. When we spend time together, like in the fall, that I cheer with you going up to Washington, we hardly even have to talk to each other. Because we know the way we're going to go through this day. We're going to kind of glide through and we're going to kind of ooze through it and kind of just take things as they happen. If Mary would have been there, it would have been all planned out. And that's just a different gene. Josh got my ooze genes and my slide genes, okay? Every one of you in this room act like your daddy. What I want to tell you is that if you've invited Jesus into your heart, if you've opened your heart to the precious gift of the Son of God who died for you, then you became one of God's most precious loved sons and daughters. If you're wrestling with pornography, man, you know what your problem is? You never got close to your daddy. Your daddy was gone. And you think you can run and hug some phantom perfect ten and you're going to be okay, but you're not. And I want you to run to your heavenly daddy. Some of you had dads that it was never good enough. You never could perform strong enough. You could just never make it. He never looked you right in the eye and said, you know, I am so proud of you. I want you to just stop this warning. Did you have a daddy that looked you in the eye and grabbed a hold of you and just tenderly told you, you are my precious son. I am so blessed to have you as my son. I just want you to know that from the depths of my heart. Did your daddy ever do that? If he didn't, then there's a brokenness in your life this morning. And it can be healed because there is a daddy. Some of you have daddies that are not going to ever do that. Some of you have daddies that aren't going to ever do that. My own daddy traveled. Uh, he was gone probably 90% of the time. He was an evangelist. He traveled all over the world serving Jesus. 
And my dad really did bless me in a million ways. My dad was a great daddy. And I knew that my dad loved me. And that's a lot of the solidity that I have in my life. But I also had a lot of abandonment. My dad was gone. He took off. And my dad also really had a really hard time just giving me tender love. Because in our family, the big word was they produced, they produced. So if I made straight A's, if I was a good athlete, if I was successful, then I was somebody. And that's a very powerful drive in my life, just like some of you guys. And this morning, my heavenly daddy comes and says, you know, David, you're my beloved David. If you're having trouble with sexual sin, that's the cure. Because sexual sin is running to the wrong goddess. It's running away from the true God. If you're homosexual today, you're wrestling with that, wrestling with those feelings. Those guys, those women, they're looking for love in all the wrong places because they're running into each other's arms and it's going to give them AIDS. It gives them brokenness. They go in and out of a million different relationships. You can't figure out who's married to who and whose kid belongs to who. It's all twisted and contorted. It isn't beautiful and it's not with it. And it's not just the way things are. It's against the way things are. And I'm not being mean. I'm not being cruel. And I'm not calling for you to hurt them. I'm asking you to pray for them. And I want you to, to communicate. There's 25% of the globe has never found out that there's a loving heavenly daddy that wants to gather human beings like you in his arms and say, I love you. You're my most loved kid. You see, Paul's been telling us for four chapters straight that you were chosen by your heavenly daddy, you were predestined by your heavenly daddy, he knew you, you were in his heart in eternity past. And what I want us to pray, like, to be honest with you, I have a hard time believing that. How about you? Does anybody have a hard time really believing? I really am God's most loved kid. Yeah. That God really does graciously pour out his mercy on me. He pours out his forgiveness on me. Some of you this week, you know, you've looked back over your life, and I have every week people tell me this. Well, I don't think I can come to church because I am so bad. I said, man, you need to come, man. We got a lot of bad people. You know, we got tons of bad people there. Man, you'll be right at home. It'll be a great place for you. That's all we got, except for Jesus. Amen? Really mean that. Forgiveness, forgiveness. As most loved children. When you love, and I want you to see there's a vertical love. You've received the love. And some of you, what you need to do, like you're not, you don't need to listen to anything else I say. What you need to do the rest of this week, you need to go back through Ephesians 1 through 4. And everything your heavenly daddy says to bless you. I'm not kidding. Girls, if you need to take your clothes off to get love and attention... You need to go back and read and let your heavenly daddy love you. And I'm really serious. Because those guys that love you for that are going to hurt you badly. And they're going to destroy you. And you dads say, what do we do with our kids? Just talk to your kids. Show them from the word of God what the body is for. The joy that they're going to have in marriage. Don't make them think that, well, mom and dad don't even know how to do any of those things. And you need to teach them, like, sexuality is not about gladiators. It's not about violence. It's not about multiple relationships. It's it's an exquisite 
exclusive relationship that you saved and you wait and then you declare a promise and a covenant and we need to grab a hold of that because our heavenly daddy dearly loves us and we need to imitate him and we live a life of love. So when we get this vertical relationship, we let our heavenly daddy love us and that's where it begins. Then we start to love one another. And it's just the opposite. In paganism, in paganism, as a man in paganism, I go out and every woman, every woman is someone that I want to meet my needs. And some of you teenagers do that. You go to the mall, and what you're doing, you're looking at all the objects that can meet your developing sexual desires. That's lust. It's covetousness. And the Bible says, thou shalt not covet your neighbor's wife. And part of our personalities, every man, every woman in this room has a dark side that has a passion for wanting to meet their needs illicitly with things that don't belong to you and people that don't belong to you. That's covetousness. The opposite of that is for me to want to give my life for you. And I want you to see that because this is a big divide. Paganism is about us. And our needs and our desires and what we want. And that's where a lot of us are living. Jesus, it's about sacrificing and giving ourselves. Not in a weak way, but we've received this incredible love from God. And we are able to enter in an incredible thanksgiving. And we're thanking him for all the different things he's given to us. And we're imitating our father. How did our father act? He gave his one and only son. How did Jesus act? Jesus died for us. It's, we're giving ourselves to others. What does that mean? What does it mean? As a husband today, I ask myself, Dave, Paul is saying, Jesus is saying through Paul, that I need to walk in love today like my heavenly daddy. So with my relationship with Mary, am I walking in love or am I walking in anger? A husband comes in and says, well, you don't know who I'm living with. Man, she's a, you know, blah, 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 blah. And you know she did blah, 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 blah. And i sure I could love her if she did blah, 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 blah. You're walking in anger. You're walking in bitterness. And it's a spirit that comes over you. And Paul says, no. You need to open your heart to the love. Some of you had daddies that were just like that. And you're just following in their footsteps. And you're going to do it. Unless you let the marvelous Holy Spirit of God positively help you to become an imitator of your true heavenly daddy. But you've got to be honest about it. And you need to face what's really going on. So I asked myself this morning, David, am I walking in love? If you're yelling and screaming at your parents as a kid and you don't want to be obedient, the Lord Jesus comes to us this morning and says, hey, are you walking in love? How are you walking today? Every one of you, where are you walking? There's times in my life where I walk in bitterness. There's times when I walk in jealousy. There's times when I walk in arrogance. There's times when I walk in hatred. There's times when I walk in love. You got me? You all know what I'm talking about. And Paul is sharing. He's saying you vertically connect with God. And as you vertically connect with your precious heavenly daddy and you let him bless you, and some of you need to get alone with him. Like, especially if your earthly daddy didn't communicate grace. It was a performance thing. You need to get alone with God. That's why your, your quiet time is not a ritual that you go through. It's connect time with my loving daddy. 
My own dad and I used to get together every, in the summertime, every afternoon, and we met each other at 4 o'clock, and we paddled together around the island. And I didn't look upon it, oh, man, I need to check off my canoe ride with my dad. You know, I got to be sure to get that in. No, man, that was father-son time, blessing time, relationship time. That's what our quiet time needs to be. That's why in our church family we stress so much. Every day we open our heart to this book. And we listen to our Heavenly Daddy talk to us. And we let him love us. We let him bless us. And as we receive that love, he creates in us. What he did when, he, when you received him, he created the life of his son in your heart. So there's another side of you. Yeah, there's this dark side that lives selfishly. But there's another side of you, which is the eternal side of you, that is gentle and kind and loving and patient. And you can walk in love. So the Apostle Paul is the most positive guy that you can ever meet. He's saying, this is it. This is the life of love, that Jesus Christ loved us and gave himself as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. This whole idea of a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God, you can say, like, man, what in the world is going on with that? As a kid, when I read those verses, that's when I would check out, you know, like fragrant offering, sacrifice, what's going on? And you almost have to be Jewish. You know, Paul's Jewish, and he had seen the sacrifice. And I can connect with the aroma part. How many of you, you have a beautiful smell? How does it make you feel? Well, how does it make you feel when you have a really raunchy smell? Okay? And they're just the opposite. What the Apostle Paul is saying here is that when Jesus paid that incredible price for us, that it was like a beautiful perfume. We just sang about it, that we offer our praise as a perfume. Jesus offered his entire life, gave his life as a perfume to God. And God smelled that perfume. His justice smelled that perfume. And he was satisfied. And that's what I want you to understand, is that there's this incredible, just, holy, righteous God. You live in a world that believes that there isn't any justice. There's no real right and wrong. Everything is relative. It isn't. There's this incredible Father in heaven who's just and holy. And what this verse is telling us is that because of the sacrifice of Jesus, the sweet aroma goes up before the justice of God. And his love and his mercy flows forth from that throne. And that's the mercy that we pour out on other people. That's the mercy that that becomes part of the way we live. So that's the positive thing. If you're struggling with immorality and you're struggling with pornography and you're struggling with illicit lust and you're struggling with greed in a materialistic way, what the Apostle Paul is sharing with is it goes back to your lack of intimacy with your heavenly daddy. And let the, the, the God of the universe, let the father of the universe, I can't stress that enough, let that precious father, and I'll pray for you and you pray for me, to open my heart to receive that. Now there's another side to our daddy in heaven. Good daddies, good daddies cherish their kids and they bless their kids and they forgive their kids, but they also protect their kids. You hear that, daddies? Like one of the most important things in your life And one of the biggest things that's missing, like if daddies, if you're you're wishy-washy on what's right and wrong, and in your home you don't set up a climate, like anything goes, like you can watch anything, then you're failing as a daddy. Because one of the things you need to do as a daddy is you protect yourself and your wife and your kids. And the heavenly daddy does that. And what that means is that stuff that's poison, stuff that's cyanide, You tell them, this is really bad stuff. 
And that's what Paul goes on. He has a positive thing, imitate God and walk in love. But now he says, look at verse 3. But among you there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. Then he comes at it from a different standpoint, the way we talk. Nor should there be any obscene sexual jokes is his idea. There shouldn't be foolish jesting, foolish talking. The idea here is double entendre, jokes that you hear, like where there's sexual connotation underneath. That's what he's talking about. We all know how we do that. He's saying that as believers, that we shouldn't have any part of that, which are out of place, but rather giving of thanks. For of this you can be sure, there's no immoral, and that goes right back to what he said in verse 3. He said there shouldn't be a hint of sexual immorality. He comes back to that word in verse 5. No immoral person, no impure person or greedy person. Such a person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. This is really important. We live in a culture that is becoming more and more pagan. What the Apostle Paul is saying is that we need to teach our kids the reality. And what he's sharing is that our Heavenly Daddy, we talk about the love that our Heavenly Daddy has. And because our Heavenly Daddy loves sexuality and marriage, he loves the exclusiveness of it. He loves the safety of it. He loves the health of it. He loves the long-term nature of it. It's what produces homes where little children can be cared for because little children need self-sacrificial parents, not people who are just living for their bodily pleasures. And sex is one of the ways, it's the way that we generate kids. So if you just live for yourself, it destroys the whole society. Because there's no one there to take care of the little ones. And that's where our culture is. And because the Heavenly Daddy is so concerned about it, he says, we're going to turn it around. And this is going to kill you. And he, he says, any kind of sexual immorality. That word is porneia, from where we get pornography. But porneia is the most general word that I can use in the Greek language to cover all the bases. Homosexuality, lesbianism, um, bestiality, incest, everything. Adultery, fornication, it's all right there. All those relationships that are outside the bounds of marriage. Porneia is the word that covers that. In Judaism in the Old Testament, there were strong commands against. Just like this, just like Paul is giving. So one of the things we need to nail down in our church family is that's a false God. That's going to kill us. The next word you use is dirtiness. And when you're, when you're in this world of paganism, sexual immorality becomes the end thing, and then you start to be dirty and impure. And you'll even feel impure. You want to do things at night. You want to take a shower when you get done. You know, repeated showers over and over and over again, trying to get rid of the guilt and the shame. And the final word is that you just live for the passions of your body. You're covetous. You're greedy. And a lot of commentators hold that, well, he's talking about money now. Yeah, he is. But it's, it's really in this context of sexuality. And what he's saying is this person's living greedily for someone else that doesn't belong to him or her. And you live in a culture that sells things to you that tells you repeatedly the young men in our church are, are, in the culture they live are taught that's what men do. They're greedy for women. 
And our little girls are taught you're hot. And that's lust. That's what Paul is saying. And what you say, well, what do I do with the mom and dad? Where is it going to, you, you just spell out. Where is that going to lead? What kind of a person are you going to connect with if that's your value? You know, what kind of a life do you want to live? What do you really believe will bring you life? That's what the Apostle Paul is saying here. And he's also saying that there's a loving but very just God in heaven who says, if you receive me into your heart, if you receive the Son of God into your heart, it changes you. And this is a real important idea because we live in an American culture that talks all about, oh, yeah, I received Jesus. I love Jesus. But there's absolutely no ethical change in their life. Like if you want to dress like a harlot, if you want to go out to malls and look at all the women and that's where you live and you're immoral and you're impure, if you tell dirty jokes, if you love watching other people tell dirty jokes, those are the wrong side of the genes. And I'm talking to myself, too. That's the dark side. That's the satanic side. It's the evil side. It doesn't come from our heavenly daddy. And what the Apostle Paul is saying is that, there's, that God judges that there really is sin. And sexual immorality is not a big game, and it's not really an exciting, exhilarating thing. It gives you tons of pleasure, and then it murders you. And the Apostle Paul is just clear as he can be. Positively, you've got to decide. And every one of you in this room today, you're either worshiping on the pagan side or you're worshiping on the heavenly side. And what the Apostle Paul is stressing here is that what should replace our, our, this greed and this covetousness is thanksgiving. And that brings us right back to what we've been doing in, in worshiping. That's the exact opposite of paganism. Because we're expressing thanksgiving to our Father. It's why it's so important. And it's so important for us to do it from the depths of our heart. So that our emotions are healed. And so that they're pure. And so that they're holy. That's why praise and worship is so vital to our church family. The idea here, he closes, let no one deceive you with empty words. For such things God's wrath comes. There's a lot of empty words out there. There's bishops that'll tell you, this is the latest thing. This is the end thing. In other words, I used to be married And I had kids, but then I found out I was homosexual, and I divorced my wife, left my kids, and now I'm married to another man, and God blesses it, and we need to be married. Because that's a holy thing, and that's the new thing, because we're inclusive of all people, and that's what you're being told. And I want to share with you, Apostle Paul in Ephesians 5 is saying, no way. That's from hell. That kind of thinking... Right away in the first century, they were, already, they were already having this kind of conflict. There were already people in the church, teachers, right from within the church, that were teaching that. What I want us to do is I want us to train our kids. It's with God that we have a dearly loved father. Father, God is your father, Satan is your father. Which do you want? Satan over here will lie to you, then he'll murder you and destroy you, and trash you forever. Your heavenly daddy here gave his son to die for you. He cherishes you. He calls you his most loved one. He blesses you every single moment of your life if you open your heart to him. Over here, he says, there's purity, 
and there's holiness. There's exhilarating sex and marriage, and there's beautiful homes, and there's children that come, and there's all the joy, and there's long-term relationships, and there's forgiveness, and there's cherishing each other. Over here, there's using each other's bodies while you're young until there's another body that's more useful and could give me greater pleasure and that could attract more attention for me or more power for me because it's about my meeting my desires. You have to decide which side you want to be on. Moms and dads, we have the truth. We have reality. The laws aren't going to really cut it in the long run. People will still be immoral. They always have been. The Ten Commandments were the greatest law that's ever been given, and we've broken every one of them. But we've got something that's incredibly great. The Ten Commandments are true, and that's why Jesus died. And he took the penalty that that law demands so that we could live in a new life. And I want us to be crystal clear as a church family that the Lord's calling us not to just be obedient to some external rule, but he wants us to be living with internal genes, heavenly genes, divine power, resurrection power that he talked about in chapter 1. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, I need to imitate you as my precious Heavenly Father today. And Lord, I just want to pray that as we look at this big divide, Ephesus was pagan, and Jesus came and introduced a whole new way of life, an eternal life, and a blessed, loving, tender relationship with an eternal, loving Father that would be there forever. And the Ephesians got really excited about it. It it totally changed their lives. Lord, we want your love, we want your tenderness, we want your grace to change our lives today. What I just really want is one of my precious friends, one of my precious brothers and sisters, to really open their heart to you as their heavenly daddy and allow your beloved grace-giving blessing to protect them from sexual sin. Father, I would pray that you would put a hedge around every one of our kids, some of them that aren't even here. I pray, Lord, that, that as paganism is becoming more and more strong, I pray that the power of your resurrection and the power of the new life that you can give, I pray that it would be stronger. And Lord, the big challenge for our church family is for us to really see this transformation taking place, seeing anger healed and lust buried and immorality not even spoken among us because it becomes so rare. And we catch our tongue when we go to tell dirty jokes and we recognize the the true worth of women and men. Lord, that's what we covet. That's a true covenant, a holy covenant. We covet your truth and we covet your, your beliefs and your insights into sexuality. And I'd ask you, Lord, that you would help us as we go on in this chapter. And we're eventually going to be talking about our home life. We want the, the resurrection power of Jesus to really take over in those areas. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.